everything I've made it what it's all about you it's all about you Jesus please take your seat good morning what a glorious week it's going to be, isn't it? The weather. Finally, it's spring. <clears throat> Martin Luther, a uh, Christian reformer, uh, once referred to God as a hidden God. When he referred to God as a hidden God, he, is not, he wasn't referring to the fact that God was unknowable. We all know that God in His mercy actually had chose to reveal himself to us. Theologians call it in two ways. Theologians say God revealed to us in two ways. One is general revelation, and the other one is special revelation. General revelation refers to creation, the moral law, our conscience written in our hearts. And if there's a moral law, then there will be a moral law giver. So Theologians say God revealed to us through general revelation, but general revelation has its limitation because it doesn't tell you which God. You may come to the conclusion that there's a God, but which God? And then you need a special revelation in which God revealed to us through His Word and ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. So when Martin Luther said that, referred to God as a hidden God, he is not saying that God is unknowable. What he was referring to God as a hidden God, he was highlighting the discrepancy between our expectations of how God works and how He actually works. Our expectation of how He works and how He actually works. For example, this hidden God hides Himself in places like a manger as a baby. I mean, if you are God, you want to come to visit the world, or what do you do? You expect millions of angels blowing trumpets, rolling down red carpet, you know, God in the palm and all that thing. But God chose to reveal, came in a person of, in a baby, hiddenness of God. And God dying on the cross with criminal? Doesn't seem right, isn't it? Few realize that Christ would come not in pomp or power, but in humility, frailty, and infancy. Even fewer realize that Christ would conquer not by army, sword, or uprising, but by a cross. And these unexpected workings of God aren't unique to the birth or death of Christ alone. So God is hidden not just in these two forms. This is how God has worked all throughout history. He chose an obscure man named Abraham from whom to build a nation through which all the families of the earth would be blessed. He chose a shepherd boy to be a king. And he brings forth the line of the Messiah. Those who studied KYB with me on the book of Ruth, God chose Ruth down the line, married Boaz and then down the line of David through the Messiah. He chose outcasts to be prophets. He chose a people that were small and weak 
to be his people. He chose ordinary, uneducated fishermen to establish his church. He chose to conquer the world by spreading a message from person to person. So God's ways and God's works are not always as we expect it to be. He does not work according to worldly standards. He is not confined to human reason or logic. He works not according to special precepts, but according to His own goodness and will. And today, we're going to look at this man called James the Less. Howard was the service leader this morning at the earliest service. He said that there's a church in Mount Eliza, uh, an Anglican church called James the Less. Maybe you're down that way, you can pay a visit. Uh, James the Less, uh, we put it, I put out him as being ordinary. Ordinary not in the sense of the work that he did. Ordinary in the sense that the scripture is completely silenced on who is this disciple. Out of the twelve, this James the Less was nothing mentioned about him at all. All that we know is that his father was by the name of Alphas, because he's known as James, sons of Alphas. He's one of the twelve apostles of Jesus, appearing under this name in all three of the synoptic gospel lists of the apostles. He's known as James the Last, maybe as a way to distinguish from James, the son of Zabadi, as we already covered, uh, who is the brother of uh, Andrew. He is also labelled as the minor, the little, the lesser, the younger, uh, according to your translation. It is also, maybe there's a possibility that his mother's name is Mary. You have heard uh, Josh read to us just now. Uh, there was a lady by the name of Mary under the foot of the cross is, who said that he's the mother of James and Joseph or Jose or Josh. Uh, so it could be if that James is this particular James the lesser, then his mother's name is Mary and his father's name is uh, Alphas. But we cannot be dogmatic about that. We do not know. So James, in some sense in the scripture, never mentioned anything, just like the next two disciples that uh, Caroline will be preaching as well, is devoid of any information given to us in the scripture about their lives, unlike what we have covered previously on Matthew, James, Andrew, uh, Peter, and all that. But the next three disciples is quite unknown. And then the final disciples we're going to cover is Judas, which has uh, more materials for us to do so. So what I'm going to do this morning, since I have so little to work on based on what Scripture says about James the last, being a disciple, is I'll give you three things about what these 12 disciples, they were chosen to do. And then I want to emphasize on just one heading on why ordinary is good. And then I'll have two applications for you. First and foremost, the 12 disciples, they were chosen to see. In Luke chapter 10, this is what Jesus said to the 12 disciples. He said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings, they wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Right throughout the Old Testament, they have been prophesying about the coming Messiah. The kingdom of God is going to dawn in the person of Christ. Christ is going to usher in the kingdom of God. 
but they all didn't get a chance to see it. But the disciples are now chosen to see the inauguration of the kingdom of God. So they got to see Jesus healing the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, walk on water, feed the multitudes, heard his, his preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He heard the parables and teachings, heard the stabbing remarks to the money changers in the temple. He heard the kind, sympathetic, encouraging words to those in need. James the Less was there at the Last Supper. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. He was there in the city during the crucifixion, although he ran away. He was there at the resurrection. He was there for the ascension of Christ. So he was chosen to see all these things. Not only were all these disciples were cho was chosen to see, but they were also chosen to speak. After Jesus spent some time with them, 72 of them, break them into a group of uh, 36, pair up, send them out to preach the gospel. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to speak. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. They were chosen to go out and speak. George Orwell, a novelist, said that in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Because truth is now stranger than fiction. Uh, nobody wants to listen to truth anymore. We are so bombarded with lies that we rather listen to lies than truth. And so they were chosen to speak the truth. They were chosen to preach the gospel. The gospel is an unchanging gospel of good news. However it is to the ears of the modern world, we have to preach it because it is the gospel. It is the good news. Uh, as difficult as it is, but it's actually a good news that God loves you. He died for you on the cross and I provide you a way to come to the Father. So they were chosen to see, to speak, and finally they were also chosen to stand. They were sent out to preach the gospel and Jesus said to them, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You have to be strong. You have to stand firm in your faith. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Two passages there, that in 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter on resurrection, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. And then one chapter later, at his conclusion, he said, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Be courageous, be strong, stand firm in the faith. Don't deviate from the faith that you have. You have. Don't fall away, don't backslide, don't become cool. Don't turn cold, don't let your faith grow cold. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous, be strong. Have the moral courage to stand firm in obeying God's will, even if you have to stand alone. 
Have the moral courage to do that. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Let nothing shake you. Focus on Jesus. Finish the race well. Don't give up halfway. Don't let your heart grow cold. Finish strong. Finish well for the Lord. Don't let any distraction steer you away. So those are the three things that uh, the disciple was chosen to do. And now let me move on to James the Less in particular. Just one thing that I want to touch on and that is ordinariness is foundation to all things. Ordinariness is foundation to all things. James the Less, faceless disciple in a sense, nothing recorded about what he said, what he did, other than as a group of disciples, we know what they were asked to do, but individual, there's nothing recorded about him at all that we, we know. He's quite ordinary in the sense, without being known. But I want to advocate the fact that ordinariness is foundation to all things. You can't have anything great without something less. I'll give you a few examples, okay? You can't have a book without chapters. You can't have chapters without paragraphs. You can't have paragraphs without sentences. You can't have sentences without words. You can't have words without letters of the alphabet. The greater consists of the lesser. The greater consists of the lesser. The global ministry of Jesus Christ exists because of the James the less who live and who serve. You can't have a universe without a planet. You can't have a planet without soil or sea. You can't have soil without grains of earth and drops of water. You can't have earth and water without molecules. You can't have molecules without atoms. You can't have the greater without the lesser. Now we went through the renovation of this church about three years ago. It's all plastered up, but we all know, just at like your house, you know, there are so many bricks here. You can't have this building without the small building block of that brick. Just like, for example, a service, to have a service like this. You know how many people need to be involved just to have a Sunday morning service? You have people prepare the elements who comes early, cut up the bread, put into the element, pick it here, with the appoint who to serve. Uh, the song leader have to choose the song weekdays, send it to the power-up team to put up into words, and they have the musician need to rehearse. And then we have some people making coffee and tea, Sunday school teachers. There are many people. You can't have the greater without the lesser. The global ministry of Jesus Christ exists because of the James the less who live and serve. Millions enjoy the music of Mozak or Beethoven or another rock singer group that you, you like. Who knows who devised notes and scales 
and pause the rest, which is all the building blocks of music. Without the works of these unknowns, the works of the known would not be known. You know the guy? Yeah, you do, right? Who? Who is that guy? The, the one? You know Albert Einstein, but who is this? He is quite well known, actually. He's called Michael Faraday. You, most people know him, but people don't know him. But Albert Einstein will tell you this guy was his mentor. This guy influenced him greatly. You know this guy? Yes? Who is it? James the Less. No one knows him. His name is Benjamin Elijah Mays. He's, he was Martin Luther King Jr. mentor. Benjamin Elijah Mays. You know her? Mother Teresa. Who is this? No one knows. She's a 19th century French Camelite nun who is also known as the little flower of Jesus. And Mother Teresa was greatly influenced by her. James the less. You can't have the greater without the lesser. The global ministry of Jesus Christ exists because of the James the less who live and who serve. Daniel, the prophet, we all know Daniel, you know, Lion's Den and, and all the Sunday school story that we all learned about uh, in the fire. Here in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, not Korean, okay? Although we have some Korean here, he's not a Kim. Uh, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Kingdom of Judah, there, are 12, there were 20 kings. And Jehoiakim was the last third king in the line of the 20 kings. Let me show you here. Jehoiakim, here. And then Jehoiachin. Oh, these are not Chinese, okay? And then we have Zedekiah. So in the third year of Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon king, came and conquered them. Okay? It wasn't until about another 20 over years that they completely wiped them out. So at that time, Kingdom of Judah was just a vassal state. And one, one boy, little boy, was taken into captivity, and his name was Daniel, during this period when Jehoiakim was the king. In his third year, Babylon came in, and then a bunch of young people, or lots of people were sent into exile. They selected a good one to be trained in the Babylonian Empire to serve them. It was said that Daniel was about 14 to 17 years old when he went into exile. So if you minus 14 or 17 years from that year, that means Daniel was born during the time when King Josiah was the king. King Josiah was one of the eight good kings in the southern kingdom. And his grandfather, King Josiah's grandfather, is a guy by the name of Manasseh. He reigned in Judah for 55 years, the longest serving king in the southern kingdom of Judah. 
He was a bad king. And can you imagine a bad king ruling for 55 years? He literally worshipped pagan and he shut the temple of God. And it wasn't until King Josiah became king at 8 years old. And at the age of 26 years old, he reopened the temple of God. And when they opened the temple of God, they discovered the book of law. And then there's a revival that happened under his leadership. And when revival happened, that was the time Daniel was born. So Daniel grew up in that kind of environment. He was influenced by an environment that uphold the teaching of God's word. But the question is, who was Daniel's father? We don't know. Who was Daniel's mother? We don't know. Who was the one who taught Daniel? We don't know. We don't know. But yet, when he went into captivity as a 14 to 17 year old boy, everybody, most of them compromised, sold to Babylonian Empire. They were flattered to be selected, but not Daniel. Daniel said, I'm not going to do that. But where did he get his, his faith from? He was in that environment at that time. But we know nothing of that. The global ministry of Jesus Christ exists because of the James, the less, lives and serve. In Acts of the Apostle, when Jesus dwelt on earth for three years, serving ministry for three years, he died. He rose, he ascended to heaven, and then he asked the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then when the Holy Spirit came, they went out to preach the gospel. And then they were under persecution. Acts chapter 8 says this. This is when they were uh, under persecution. Okay? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The question then is, who are those who have been scattered? We have no names. We don't know who went out to preach the gospel. It just said to us, those who had been scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. And, and Christianity at the start suffered tremendous amount of persecution. It wasn't until about uh, 300 years later when uh, the Roman king, you know, Constantine, became a Christian. And when he became a Christian at that time, no longer any persecution, and then the gospel spread. And that's, and that, that itself created another problem with Roman Catholicism, bringing pagan practices into the church and all that. But they were under persecution, and people went out scattered to preach the gospel. Who were these scattered Christians? What were their names? We don't know. Who were those hundreds, those thousands who spread the Christian faith? Those who brought the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, those whose names are not recorded. We know Paul. We know Peter. But who are these others that are mentioned here? Who were the names of those courageous Christians who were thrown to the lions, those Christians who were true to Jesus to their death? We don't know. In the long history of the church, we know St. Augustine, we know Martin Luther, we know John Calvin, we know John Wesley, 
We don't John Wycliffe or the John. But how few we really know. For every general, there are probably 10,000 privates. James the less, the apostle unknown. Unimportant is a symbol of the privates in God's army. Why were the influential, the famous, the powerful, the successful not chosen by Jesus? Why were Nicodemus and the rich young ruler not in the company of the twelve? Why was a layman whose name is James the less chosen? We don't know. The cause of Christ has been carried forth by the merits of privates in his army. James may not have performed any great work or made any great speeches by which he could be remembered for, but Jesus saw something of worth and value in him which caused him to select James to be an apostle and to be among the inner circle of Christ's closest associate. The gospel ministry of Jesus Christ exists because of the James the less who live and who serve. What does it mean for us? I have two things that I want to give to you. First one, I want to encourage you to esteem and not despise ordinary moments. If only, if only we do not despise ordinary moments. If only we recognize the power of the ordinary moments in life. God is hidden. He is hidden in those places. Hidden in the ordinary, routine, mundane things of life. There's a book written by a guy called Brother Lawrence many years ago. And the title of the book is called Practicing the Presence of God. And his profession is he worked in the kitchen. He dries the plate, do the dishes. He said that allows him to practice the presence of God. We should not ignore or neglect the small, ordinary and simple moments of life. God doesn't necessarily flung himself in the big, grand events of the day. He's not just working in the big churches. No one can monopolize the Holy Spirit. God doesn't necessarily flung himself in the big grand events of the day, but he's working and there we say, hiding in the mundane and ordinary aspects of our lives. The big, extraordinary and significant moments of life are not the only ones that count. Too often we believe our ordinary daily tasks hold no true meaning or purpose. In other words, we, can't, we don't find God there. In fact, we find it useless doing those things sometimes. Daily tasks hold no true meaning or purpose. In other words, we don't find God which is the source of meaning and purpose in these mundane moments. And like many in Jesus' day, we tend to believe that God only works in the public, the large and revival-like moments of life. So we see ordinary tasks as unimportant, unspiritual, and unproductive. I tell you, if you think like that, you will have two problems. You have two problems. The first problem is that you will miss out 
the regular moments of sanctification as we witness God working around us. You missed it because you're looking at the larger things. You're missing out on those moments that God used it to shape and mold you as a person. Why do you think Moses has to spend 40 years in the desert? 40 years in the palace? 40 years in the, pa- in the desert? Because God is molding him to feed the sheep, and not to feed the sheep, to, to tender and do many things, shaping him until he was 80 years old. Then he's ready to serve God. God often increases our patience, provides us with relationship building conversation, and helps us slow down from our works with this seemingly mundane task. And that's the first problem. You miss out on the sanctification process that God may use. And second issue, if you miss this, you don't treasure sacred moments in the sand, you were then relegated all these things just as ordinary and mundane. You just relegate it to that. You just accept it as it is. You don't have a proper understanding of the mundane days, a framework for God's working in normal life, then you can feel hopeless and disconnected from God. You're always feeling meaninglessness in a sense. You're always looking for something great to happen when it is happening right in front of you. The hiddenness of God is there. He sanctifies us as we clean the church. He sanctifies us as you come for working bee. He conforms us to the image of the Son as we respond to email or balancing your budget. He makes us into blazing light of gospel glory as we do ordinary, even burdensome administrative tasks. He shows us His wonderful goodness, goodness as we cook for lunches. Help us ch- help a widow change a light bulb or even talk about the weather over coffee at a local cafe. God can break through in those moments. If God chose to be found in a manger, if God chose to win the victory through death on a cross, if God chose a shepherd to be king, if he chose fishermen to build his church, then surely he can work in the ordinary moments and ordinary ways of our lives. God often does things we don't expect, at times we don't expect, and in ways we don't expect. And that is why Martin Luther said there's a discrepancy between how we expect him to work and how he actually works. So God often does things we don't expect, at times we don't expect, and in ways we don't expect. God can use a kid, a baby, a a child to speak the word of truth to you. And that is why he tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't believe that God only works through the spectacular. Don't believe that. Instead, realize it is spectacular that God is with us in the ordinary moments of everyday lives. Sorry, I actually forgot to uh, 
give you the second point, and that is remember and not forget the hidden God. Remember and don't forget the hidden God in the ordinariness of life. How many of you remember what you did on 31st of December 1999? I think most people remember. But if I were to say 1998, then I don't think most people remember. 1999 people remember because it's counting down to the millennium, isn't it? 2000. You know, remember this day, or 9-11, people know where, where they were, because this is a drastic moment. My wife and I, we were in Auckland, New Zealand, on 31st December 1999. And as you know, New Zealand was the first country, uh, first major country in the world that ushered in the year 2000. And uh, we stayed with uh, her friend, uh, and on 31st December, we were wondering what to do at 12 a.m., you know, should we go down to the Auckland city to see the firework and, and welcome in the millennium, you know, and or see the world chaos because, you know, everybody predicted Y2K and all that. And I have an Australian friend who, who, is, who lives in New Zealand. He told me that at 12 midnight, they have a prayer meeting. He went behind at 12 a.m., he went and switched off all the light, boom. And then he heard everybody say, eh, I told you, I told you. And then there was a bit of a quarrel. And then he quickly switched on back the line. But truth be told, on 31st of December, my wife and I, when we were in Auckland, we, we decided to join our friend to their church prayer meeting at about 11 o'clock. Because some churches have this tradition of, of uh, what they call watch night service. They come together, they have... Uh, singing and then reflect on the year and have people to come out and share what this year have meant for them and then there's a prayer meeting together so we decided to uh, to attend the prayer meeting it was a small church it's a reformed baptist church a very small church and the prayer meeting was only about 10 people we sang hymns we prayed we read god's word and till today i will never forget those that moment that God break through in my life. It's a very ordinary moment. Just by singing one hymn, that God's words was so loud. Because I was at a crossroad junction. And on that day, that night, God spoke to me through a simple, ordinary prayer meeting, only attended by ten people singing the hymn. I can't even remember the pastor's name. I can't remember the pianist. I remember the hymn, but I don't know who was the writer of the hymn. And words speak loudly to me. You know, my friend, the greatest work of God's kingdom is done by ordinary, unknown believers. While the world is unaware of their names, it will not be unmoved by their service. God will honor not our fame, but our fidelity. Faithful common service is the foundation of a healthy church and ministry, even if you never become famous. Being ordinary is perfectly fine. And it is the hallmark of greatness in God's eyes. If I may close off with this verse, Jesus said of those who serve, that we all know very well, not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Ordinariness is good. It's perfectly fine. And if I may add, it is wholesome, it's beautiful to your mental health. So much of the mental problem is because I think it's a cure for depression and mental health problem. God is good. Serve Him faithfully in your own ways. Ordinariness is a foundation to all the great things that happen in the world. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you. We thank you for James the Last. We have so little information about him. Some said that he became the bishop in Jerusalem. Some said he went to preach in Egypt and he was crucified there. We don't know much. But the symbol of James the last in Christian art is always a carpenter's saw. Why was that the symbol? We don't know again. Could it be that his body was sawed apart or what? I don't know. Uh, we know so little about him. But at the same time, we also know that there are so little things about so many people in this world who has contributed so much to the movement of your work. The global ministry of Jesus Christ exists because of the James the Lesser who live, who serve you quietly, faithfully, joyfully. And the world is so much richer because of all these people. Thank you, Lord. To God be the glory as we sing this song. Amen. May I invite you to stand as we sing this beautiful hymn.